to It's a Musical Podcast. The podcast where Drew introduces her boyfriend to musicals he should have seen by now. Yes. I am the boyfriend. And I am Drew. And (laughs) thank you for joining us once again as we go back in time in our way, way back machine. Mm -hmm. To to 1956. With My Fair Lady. Yeah. So... We're not talking about the 1956 version. 1956 is when the original musical was written. Okay. And when it was released. The movie version, which is what we are looking at, came out in 1964. So seven years after. Yeah, I believe in your maths ability. (laughs) It's nice you believe in something. Aww. (laughs) What I know about this play essentially comes from The Simpsons and Family Guy. Right. Because like Phantom of the Opera from last week, Mm -hmm. this is a heavily referenced musical. Yes. I know that there have been whole episodes, instead of just throwaway gags, Mm -hmm. where My Fair Lady has been referenced. There's an episode of The Simpsons where Lisa transforms groundskeeper Willie into a gentleman. I've actually seen that as well. It's called My Fair Laddie. Yes, terrible. And there is an episode, very early episode of Family Guy, mm-hmm. where Stewie has a bet with Brian that yeah. he can transform a common English baby to a baby of stature. Yeah. So I know that My Fair Lady is going to be something along the lines of a common girl, right. I assume played by Audrey Hepburn. Yeah is transformed for some reason into a lady of society. Yeah. It might be a bet. It might just be for fun. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they fall in love, Mm -hmm. but that's what I know of this play. Okay. I know that there is a song that goes, by gosh, she's got it. I think she's got it. Because that's in The Simpsons. It's in Family Guy. All right, okay. The rain on the plane falls mainly... The rain in Spain yep. falls mainly on the plane. <laughs> My gosh, he's got it. Um, <laughs> that's it. That's it. Right. I, I will let you speak now. That is all I know okay. about My Fair Lady. So in 1956, Alan J. Lerner and Frederick Lowe wrote My Fair Lady. Lerner wrote the book and the lyrics, and Lowe wrote all of the music for it. Was this the play that made Julie Andrews a star. Yes. So Julie Andrews was, I guess, discovered for this musical. She auditioned for it in America because she'd just moved there from London. Yeah. And she auditioned for it. Hold on a second. Didn't you say this was our first British musical? Yes. So why is she auditioning in New York? Because it came out on Broadway first. So is it a British play then? I'm confused. Yes. So My Fair Lady was a book called Pygmalion by George Bernard Shaw. And that became a play. And in 1930, he sold the rights for it to be made into a film. Not a musical, just a straight film based on the play. Then in 1950, he dies. And the concept of turning it into a musical is introduced because people know that musical adaptations of 
books tend to do quite well in that era. Had a film been made in the 20-year period of 1930 to 1950, or was it something that was in development now? So it was in development for, yeah, 20 years. At the time, a, a whole bunch of books had been sold to, I believe, Warner Brothers. In that time period, not many of the books that were sold were made into films. Is it kind of what, like what was happening recently with all the teen dystopian futures with Hunger Games, Maze Runner, Divergent, everything being bought because yep. this is the new trend mm-hmm. and ultimately some are made, some are not made because the trend kind of died out halfway through the production. Yeah. So they bought all these books thinking we've got the next the next big thing Mm -hmm. but then they never made it because the trend for this kind of film died out yeah so they had the concept and it was just sort of lying there nobody was doing anything with it and then because George Bernard Shaw died the rights reverted to him and to his estate which meant that the rights were owned by a bank and the concept of turning it into a musical was reintroduced a movie musical Then it was abandoned for two years, until 1952, when Lerner and Lowe decided, actually, do you know what, we're going to do this, but we're going to make it into a stage musical first, because we want to see how it runs. So they wrote a stage musical, and they wrote 24 songs for the original musical, and they cast the original cast and the crew without actually owning the rights to do any of it. Oh, wow. Because it still belonged to this bank, and they were up against MGM Studios to pitch the idea of making a musical of it. Yeah. Or and owning the rights, and Lona and Lowe said that the reason that they did it without was because they knew it was going to take a couple of years before they would be allowed to even put in a bid for the rights, because with Shaw's death, like all of that needed to go through. And by the time it came round to them being able to bid for the rights they'd already written a whole musical they had something to pitch and i would imagine that mgm probably just gone and going we'd like to make it a film we don't know yeah. what we do with it yet yeah exactly they they didn't have an idea they just wanted to own it whereas learner and low were like we're ready we can start tomorrow if you give us the rights and they look at that money it's like you know letting a house yeah you can I have can money have, immediately or i can wait a month mm-hmm. two months three months hmm What am I going to do for the interim? Yeah. So they won the rights, obviously. And then they cast their musical. So the original, the book, was called Pygmalion. That was the working title for it, for the musical. And then the, I think it was Lowe, decided that he wanted to call it My Fair Lady after the nursery rhyme. If you told me we were looking at a musical called Pygmalion, Mm -hmm. I would think it would be about aliens. All right, okay. Or like pygmy like aliens. Pygmy yeah, alien. I'd, I'd think it'd be like pygmy aliens. All right, okay. I don't, it, it wouldn't <laughs> conjure up a British society story. All right. Okay, that makes sense, I guess, if you're going by what it sounds like. Yeah. But to, to make it more audience-friendly, they went with My Fair Lady. Which I think is a lot more yeah. audience-friendly. Yeah. So they originally wanted Noel Coward to play the male role the lead male role and he turned it down but he suggested Rex Harrison and they cast him straight away on Noel Coward's suggestion at the time having Noel Coward say 
you should cast this dude. Is a pretty definitive stamp of approval. Mm-hmm. And then, as their female lead, they cast Julie Andrews, who was very young and sort of fresh off of the West End, was making her debut in America and was auditioning for loads of things. And uh, I saw her at the Southbank Centre last year and she talked about how she got her big break in America and how she went up for... I can't remember what the musical was, but she was up for another musical and they'd offered her the role. Yeah. And then she got a phone call from Noel Coward saying, honey, if you don't take this role, it's going to be the biggest mistake of your life. So she took My Fair Lady over whatever the other one was. So how come she was not involved in this film? So she told the most fantastic story about this when... She was at the South Bank Centre. And honestly, Julie Andrews talking about anything is amazing. I remember when you told me you had these tickets. It was the happiest I'd ever seen you. I love Julie Andrews. We were, only, we were only about a month into dating anyway. But you were so over the moon, so happy you had these tickets. Mm-hmm. Julie Andrews is somebody you really look up to. I love her, yeah. She's incredible and she's incredibly talented and just so witty and funny but the story she's telling is the reason that she's not involved in the movie is because she'd basically been introduced to Walt Disney yeah and he came to see her in My Fair Lady and after the show he was backstage talking to everyone and she went up to her dressing room to get changed and Walt Disney came in to talk to her and said I want you to be in Mary Poppins and she said oh I'm really sorry but I'm pregnant by the time Mary Poppins is filmed, I'll be showing. And he said, that's okay, we'll wait for you. Wow. So they postponed Mary Poppins for Julie Andrews. In that time, they wanted to do this. So how early into the My Fair Lady run has he come to see it? Like, immediately. So she's it got the role. smash hit. But she's got the role, mm-hmm. and then she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. Presumably she doesn't have this role for long because of pregnancy. Not particularly, but casting lengths on Broadway are very different to casting lengths here. Yeah. You generally only get about six months in a show. But that's still really awesome that very quickly she was able to make such an impression. Yeah, and she was amazing. She also later went on to direct the West End revival. If you're going to get anyone to do something... It should be Julie Andrews. Well, somebody that has an attachment to it, Mm -hmm. I think, more than anything. I know he's not a director... Yeah. I would love to see a Jack Black directed School of Rock. Yeah, that'd be cool. Because I think he's very close to that project. Yeah, that's what she was saying, is that this story means so much to her. Exactly. That and telling it. School of Rock was Jack Black's big break in terms mm-hmm. of his star. He'd been around for years before. He'd done Tenacious D and bit parts. For instance, here he's in I Know What He Did Last Summer too. Is he? Yeah, he's a stoner with dreadlocks. I would not have remembered that, and I love those films. But this is the thing. Jack Black had been in a lot of different things, but nothing had stuck. And then he did School of Rock, mm-hmm. and his career trajectory from there was amazing. Yeah. Very similar for Julie Andrews. This was her trajectory. Yeah. So having her attached to a project that she's passionate about must have been so exciting to be a part of as an actor, mm-hmm. but also for an audience to go and see that. Yeah. So they cast, they have Julie Andrews as their leading lady and Rex Harrison as their leading man. It ran for 2,717 performances, which at the time was a world record for the longest show. The year that it came out, 52, it had a best-selling album in America. It was the top-selling album in America. Which... It was a cast album. I think the only time I've ever seen that... Grease? 
Greece was the best selling album. In recent memory, mm. would be The Greatest Showman. Mm. But <laughs> it's person- an eye roll here. Personal feelings aside, yeah, that soundtrack took the world by storm. When was the last time you had seen a movie or musical soundtrack? It would have been Greece. Yeah, and that's a long time. Exactly. So you can count that. The three names that we've said. Mm-hmm. There might be more. We need to do more research, and maybe this podcast will show that to us. But that's only three in I don't know how many years of number one albums. Yeah. So there's there's this great website called Onstage Mishaps. Yeah. Or Backstage Mishaps, and it's all about weird things that happen with shows. Yeah. And it popped up when I was doing my research for this episode. And the the reason it popped up is because on opening night for the previews of My Fair Lady, Rex Harrison locked himself in his dressing room for two hours until curtain because he didn't want to sing with a live orchestra. He was refusing because he wasn't used to it. What was his background then? He was a movie actor. Okay. He was always the, like male lead singing but he was a movie actor he wasn't used to singing with a live orchestra and he locked himself in his dressing room until he literally needed to be on stage to go out and perform did he have the role for a similar length yep he was there the whole time it's Rex Harrison (laughs) kind of do what he wants understandable it's just a very weird I guess demand yeah to happen yeah No, get rid of this orchestra. He must have had an understudy that they could have just said, okay, off you go. Well, yeah, probably, but not for previews. No, and obviously the understudy does not have the name value. No. But we could have another Phantom of the Opera here. (laughs) The understudy is so much better and prompts all this jealousy of a maniac in the My Fair Lady Theatre. Do you want to guess how many Tony Awards it won? How many categories are there? Eleven. Six. Seven. Oh, close. Yeah, so it won uh, the 1957 Tony Awards. It won Best Musical, Best Actor, Best Direction, Best Scenic Design, Best Costume, Best Conductor, and Best Music Direction. But no Best Featured Actress. Was she nominated? Yes. Who did win? I don't know. That'd be interesting. Though. Imagine beating Julie Andrews. <laughs> That's what, exactly. It's Not at the time, because she was fairly unknown, but in hindsight being well, like, oh, exactly. I Imagine Andrews. 10 years later, watching Mary Poppins with your kids and going, you see that award up on my shelf? Yeah, beat her. I beat her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We roll around to 1964 and the release of the movie. Yes. So they can't have Julie Andrews because she's busy, but they can keep Rex Harrison. So Rex Harrison is still the same character, still the lead in the movie version that we're going to watch. How old is he at this point? Quite. You know. Late 40s. Okay, cool. Because Audrey Hepburn's quite young in this from what I've seen. If it is Audrey Hepburn. It is Audrey Hepburn, yeah. She looks very young. Yes. That's kind of the point. Okay. She's a young-looking lady. This movie... On a budget of 17 million, which at the time was the highest budget given to a movie production in US history. Cool. Made $72.7 million worldwide. That's absolutely amazing. That's insane. That's. <laughs> for the time. For the, yeah. Even for now. I would love to see the inflation of what that looks like by today's standards. Mm-hmm. Obviously, last year when Avengers came out and they were chronicling its journey to the top of the box office and the most at one time. 
it's still paled in comparison to Gone with the Wind yeah. by historical standards. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to see where My Fair Lady ranks with that 72.6 million. 72.7, yeah. Why is it a six and seven today? You're doing a good job. It is also now in the Library of Congress. They have a copy of it. Because it's so culturally yeah, relevant. Yeah, for cultural significance. Wizard of Oz is in there. Mm-hmm. Couple of movies. I, I know there's a lot of big, big movies in there. I think Jaws is in there as well. I always like looking and mm-hmm. seeing what gets entered. But yeah, that's always a, lots of things. Very that's good. a hallmark right there. How many Oscars do you think it won? Best film, best director, mm-hmm. best adapted screenplay. Yes. Best actor. Yeah. Best actress. No. Best music? No. Sound design. Costume? Music. Costume design, yep. So that's five? Yeah, you missed I'm going to say couple. two more. Seven in total. Eight. Oh! <laughs> Always one like off! <laughs> so it won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, which you've said, Best Cinematography. Yeah. Sound Direction, rather than music, because it was put in as a movie. It wasn't a musical movie. Yeah. Best Adaptation, Best Art Direction, and Best Costume Design. This is really interesting because around the time of the Oscars this year, I was saying to you that actually I'd quite like to go back and watch every Oscar-nominated film ever. Yeah. So I'm going to cross this one off the list as well there. Yeah. There was plans to remake it in oh. 2008. and the Who was big in 2008? You tell me. Who do you think would have been in this in 2008? So that The was screenplay the... was written... Like, fully written, and it was written by Emma so Thompson. So this was the year Emma Thompson? Yeah. Cool. She's written a couple of screenplays. This was the year that Iron Man launched. Yeah. So it's very difficult because I don't actually know. I can't really... My barometer is very off as to who... Think about this is a classical Would... look into history. Who was in big historical, like... Would Colin Firth have been? Yes. Yeah. Colin Firth to be Rex Harrison's character. So Mr. Darcy. Mm-hmm. Can he sing? You've seen Mamma Mia. I haven't. Have you That's not? It's on the oh, podcast. God. I've I seen. You've just not seen the second one. No, I have seen it. Basically, I saw it from where Pierce Brosnan busts in with SOS, and I just want to see what else it was. Amazing. Yes, um, of course he's in. Colin that. Firth can sing. He has a very sweet voice for such a like gravelly sounding yeah. speaking voice you will see when we watch this film it's it doesn't really call for much male singing fair actress yeah there's actually two actresses that were up for this role before <laughs> it got scrapped i don't know how old this character is supposed to be me either and you're not going to get a good idea from the film but i'm trying to think in terms of younger actresses in 2008 mm-hmm it wouldn't be Emma Watson. She'd have been too She'd busy. She'd been too young. Well, and very, still very busy with Harry Potter. Harry Potter's still got another three years before it's concluded. You're thinking along the right kind of lines, though, with, like, ingenue British actress. Yeah. Who would it have been? Either Keira Knightley or Kerry Mulligan. Yeah. Yeah. And then it got scrapped, so we don't have that, which is, was in my opinion, a reason thing. why it was scrapped. Because you can't remake something as iconic as that. I, I, I agree. It's the reason there's no remake of The Wizard of Oz. It's the reason why there's no remake of Rocky Horror that's been cinematically. Yeah, and the made-for-TV one was not good. 
Exactly. We don't talk about the made-for-TV one. <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, there's always been rumours. We are in the midst of speculation that Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson and Taron... Edgerton. He can going, actually sing. ...are going to be doing Little Shop of Horrors. And I will not go and see it. I will, <laughs> out of curiosity. I, I 100% would not go and see it. Well, who that. would you cast then? Literally anyone else. You'd go for the Broadway people. Yeah. Which I, I don't think... understand. And this is slight, a slight tangent, but I rant about this a lot. I don't understand why you have so many actors and actresses who started out on Broadway and are now famous actors. Like, they were like child stars on Broadway yeah. and now they're actors. So they have that Broadway background. Why they're not being cast in musicals like the reason Anna Kendrick is so great in all the movie musicals she's in is because she she's been in musicals since she was nine she'd be she a good has Audrey. that training she'd be a great Audrey and she can sing high enough for yeah it. she'd be a great Audrey I would literally rather peck my own eyes out than go and see Scarlett Johansson try and play Audrey it's she's also too old it doesn't work it's it's name value. I think they're looking for the yeah, people yeah, with and names. Yeah, and I get that. You've got to have somebody in it who's a named character, but have them be the voice of Audrey too. Yeah. Or have them be Mr. Mushnick. Like, that's funny. <laughs> I just... I agree with I you. Like that <laughs> I, think, I think the casting of Seymour would be great. He can sing as shown by Rocketman. Mm-hmm. And he looks cool, but also I've I've seen He's he dweeb. can look dweeby. Yeah. Did you see him in Eddie the Eagle? Yes. Yeah. Chris Evans as stunt casting for the dentist. Yeah, interesting. I don't know if he can sing, but I just think if you hold it up, hold that casting up against the original one. Yeah, and that's the, and and I think that's something we'll see with My Fair Lady. Yeah, it's and it's really interesting that we've tangented about stunt casting because. Audrey Hepburn was a stunt cast for this movie. Oh, really? At the time, she was doing very, very well. She was very famous. Has she... It was Breakfast at Tiffany's before this, Mm -hmm. so she's still riding that wave. Yeah. The only thing is, nobody's ever heard her sing before. So she's cast in this musical that's known for Julie Andrews and her amazing singing voice. Which, Sound of Music, Mary Poppins... Yeah, yeah. Undeniably amazing. Undeniably a superstar yeah. voice. How do you follow that? Exactly. And they cast Audrey Hepburn. And the the people were asking, oh, well, I guess she must be a very good singer then because she's been cast in My Fair Lady with Rex Harrison from the original Broadway cast. So I'll be super interested to know what you think about her singing. Yeah. Because I have a couple of things to say about it. Well, I am very excited to see this one. Yeah. I would like to see how it ranks up against The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting <laughs> comparison I get to make with this one. Yeah. We are going to go watch a film. Yep. And we will be right back. Yeah. We'll see how you like it.
I'm getting married in the morning. Ding dong, the bells are gonna chime. Girls, come and kiss me. Tell me you miss me, but get me to the church on time. Welcome back. We have now watched My Fair Lady and we are ready to talk about it. That was so much fun. Good. I feel like I need to enunciate every single thing I say. Yes, pronounce your H's. Before we get into the film, I learnt two things. Right. In between watching it and pressing record. Mm -hmm. Firstly, yeah. there's a lot of Family Guy that, yeah. we, talk, that we spoke about whilst we were watching this. Mm. And I showed you different examples, like songs, plays, and I thought, I knew this one, and you said, how? And I said, yeah. Family Guy. I actually learnt that Rex Harrison yeah. was the inspiration for Stewie's voice. Oh, cool. So, Stewie's British accent. Stewie hasn't been written British. He has been written to sound like Rex Harrison. Oh, okay. That, that's cool. Which like is that. really fun. I like that. The second thing I learned, who won Best Actress for My Fair Lady in the Film? I said I assumed Audrey Hepburn might have won it. And you said she didn't, didn't know who won it, didn't know who she was up against. Yeah. She wasn't even nominated. No. Do you want to know who did win it? Who did win it? Julie Andrews. For Mary Poppins. For Mary Poppins. That's really funny. That's like brilliant. That. Mary Poppins was up against My Fair Lady in so many different categories. So My Fair Lady beat it for Best Picture. It was yeah. nominated for Best Picture. It was nominated for Best Director, which My Fair Lady won. Mm -hmm. It was nominated for Best Actress, which Julie Andrews won. Yeah. Audrey Hepburn wasn't even nominated. I'm not surprised by that. I think that was brilliant. Alfred P. Doolittle was nominated for Best Sporting Actor. He didn't win it. Well, that's a shame. So Stanley Holloway didn't win it. But Rex Harrison did win Best Actor. I'm not surprised that he won. But I think that's really interesting. I looked at it and I thought, oh, you're going to love this. Because Julie Andrews obviously had a choice yeah. of doing well, one thing. or the other. And Super interestingly... With Mary Poppins being on there, Mary Poppins was up against another movie with Julie Andrews in it as well. Was it really? Yeah, she'd been in Mary Poppins and then she'd been in another movie just before that, but it wasn't released until the same time as Mary Poppins. And That's she was really in it. interesting. She talked about it at the South Bank. So you enjoyed it? You I really it did fun. enjoy it. I think it was a really fun film. I was surprised at how long it was off the it's, bat. It's a very long I think movie. I'm it's longer than Phantom. I'm very used to older films mm -hmm. usually coming in at about 80 minutes. Yeah. And I really did expect this to be 80 minutes, obviously. So I know so, the play won't be. Yeah, so it's a very faithful adaptation of the stage show. And I really like the way classic films start with all the credits. Mm -hmm. And you could see in big, big letters the names of the people who wrote this. Yeah. And, and as a result, it's, you, it's clear that they're following the musical. Yeah. Well, my favourite uh, old movie opening credit is always Inglorious Technicolor, which I think is hilarious. Yeah. Because it's not something you see boasted about any, anymore. Like, you see things like, you know, they have the 3D sign on things, but when you sit down to they watch the much film... Longer. Well, but when you sit down to watch a 3D movie, it doesn't say in 3D across the screen before it starts. Like, you know it's going to be that. No, because it just 
says turn your 3D glasses on and well, yeah, throws okay. a text at you. I don't know if there's a better example no, than that. No, I, you get I the... agree. It's inglorious Technicolor. Yeah. It's great. I like that. So the film starts, mm-hmm. and I immediately think you've tricked me. Into watching... Phantom of the Opera 3. <laughs> because I thought this might be Phantom of Covent Garden Opera. Mm-hmm. And I was really worried that you tricked me, that you hadn't told me Andrew Lloyd Webber had written a third. So yeah. they see Faust, which yeah. is fun and interesting. I saw Dr. Faust just mm-hmm. a few years ago by the Royal Shakespeare Company. Mm-hmm. Had a really cool gimmick that the two actors both lit a candle before the show started. And you'd watch this, mm-hmm. and whoever's candle burnt out first would play Faustus. Cool. Yeah, it's really fun. Hmm. So, I can tell you now... The actual story of Pygmalion, yes, the Greek myth, is a man who sculpts a woman out of marble, and he sculpts her to be the most beautiful woman ever, and he falls in love with her, and Aphrodite blesses them, and lets her come to life, and it's sort of like he can't even touch her because he looks up, he's put her on this pedestal of greatness because he made her, and he doesn't really love her, he's really just loving himself. That's very appropriate. Yes, I rather think so. Our introduction to Audrey Hepburn mm-hmm. is brilliant. Because she just runs You had to someone. ask me. I did, because I didn't expect her voice to be that bad. Yeah, it's annoying, isn't it? It's very annoying. You kind of understand his point. Yes, completely. And there were times I truly struggled to understand what she was saying. Yeah. Which... You know, good work for her, I guess. Like you were saying to me as we watched it, people hadn't seen the side of her. Mm. She'd been quite meek up until this point, so it must yeah. have been quite jarring. I don't think jarring. meek is the right word. She's she's always played very genteel, ladylike yes. characters, and this is maybe the first time people were seeing her be... A character. Yeah, like a big character. Because her animation mm. is fantastic. Mm. You know, we'll talk about it as we go on. But there's some really lovely character work here. Yeah. I'm surprised she didn't get nominated. And I'm sure you'll talk to me why that is. I've got suspicions. Yeah. But. I don't know why she wasn't for sure. I've got my own theories. But I was very impressed. If this hadn't been a musical. Yeah. I think there would be no question as to the legitimacy of a nomination for her. Mm. So. We meet Eliza. We meet Eliza. Did you notice Freddie at the beginning? No. Yeah. Was he at the opera as well? Yeah, so it's the old lady at the beginning who says to Colonel Pickering, does it look like it's going to stop raining soon? And he says, no, it looks like it's getting worse. Yeah. That's Freddie's mum. Right at the beginning, as they're coming out of the opera house, she says, Freddie, be a lamb and go and get a taxi. I didn't. And he runs off. And that's like just a little... I think at that point... For me, they were all just rich these, people. Yeah, yeah, these rich people, and it was establishing the juxtaposition of rich versus poor. Yeah, because you have got a real contrast in that Covent Garden area mm-hmm. of the opera house and the marketplace. Yeah, which is really good. We're showing the difference straight away. So I thought most of these people are inconsequential. We'll obviously meet a few important people. Yeah. Probably no one to care about for the duration of this. Well, it's just interesting because that's who she bumps into. You know, she bumps into a man and spills all her flowers. Yes. It's Freddie. That's really cool. Yeah. And then the person she goes and says, 
if you'd have done money, your duty as a mother, yeah, it's Freddie's That's mom. amazing. Do you think she remembers that later no. on? That's the point, is that Freddie can't tell either. He doesn't know. They're both as inconsequential to each other. Yeah, and across the plot as well, like, Freddie, I don't think, ever finds out about her past. No. He thinks she's a lady. Which and is the fact that that's how they met. to Higgins' work. Yeah. So Eliza is quite angry. Her flowers have gone in the mud, been mm. trod in the mud, and she can't sell them. Yep. And she's made aware by one of the other marketplace guys, market yeah. vendors that there's a man writing her down, and she instantly assumes, I'm in trouble with the police. Yeah. And she kicks up a fuss. Did you sort of get why she thought she might be in trouble? Because she's. I assumed it to be she sat where she shouldn't be and she's like making a nuisance of herself. The issue is that begging at the time was illegal. Okay. And the way that it works with the flower selling is they go and buy some flowers in the morning and they have to sell them to make more money. Like newsies. Like newsies. What actually happens with Pickering is he gives her some money, she doesn't give him a flower, he doesn't take a flower. So all that happened was she asked for money and she got given some. She isn't working a job. Yeah. That's begging. And she knows if a policeman caught they her won't doing differentiate. that. They will just throw her, throw her away. Yeah. Which is understandable. Yeah, that's why she freaks out so much and she's saying, no, I'm working, I'm working. And she's screaming it for everybody to hear and then Higgins finally tells her to shut up. Well, yeah, he makes his big appearance, his big entrance, and mm-hmm. he is so mean to her straight away. Yep. He's... I, at first, I thought he'd been stalking her because he knew everything about her. Oh, right, okay. But it is based on her dialect, and he shows off his magic skills with everyone else mm-hmm. and to Pickering, and he deducts all four of his different residences. Yep. And he goes... And makes really mean comments to Eliza. And Audrey Hepburn makes these brilliant noises in the <laughs> background, like sounding like a pigeon and all these different noises yeah, and well, protests. She, says, she has her two things that she says. One of them is gone, which just means gone. Go, go on. Yeah. And the other one that she does is owl, which is basically just like how, like yeah. how do you come by that? Like what does that mean? And she sort of uses them for everything, but that's what she means by it because she's cockney ish she's cockney she's as cockney as dick van dyke is in <laughs> yeah Mary for sure yeah we get the first song which i really liked we we're off to a really strong start yeah why can't the english <laughs> and i love the lyrics yes but i especially love the bit about the americans yeah so he's singing about all the, all the ways that different parts of England don't teach their children to speak properly and how English is this great language, but we're butchering it. And then he has this fantastic line where he says, and in America, they haven't used it for years, which is super funny. It's funny, especially because this debuted in America. Yeah. Was it written by Americans? Yeah. Which is why I think it's so funny. It's obviously an exaggeration, mm-hmm. but I really love that that has come from an American point of view. Yeah. And I think it makes it funnier than if it was a British person writing that. Mm. And I love self-deprecating humour. It's one of my favourite things to do. Yeah. And I like that the Americans can poke fun at themselves in that way as well. The reaction to it when he says it is all of the English Cockney guys that are sort of around, because there's a little tea station. Yes. They all laugh. And 
in the stage show they all laugh it's the same reaction but I wonder how differently that hits on an American stage to an English stage because I'm sure that with that line on an English stage we all have a good laugh at the Americans and their accents but are the Americans huffing and puffing at yeah it? do American audiences laugh at that I'd be interested to know so the bet is then referenced mm-hmm. and that's going to be very important it's just a throwaway line at this yes. point six months to make her the queen of Sheba Mm-hmm. No, nothing more is said I thought she was going to be taken home by them at this point so I was quite surprised that nothing happened but it's obviously just planting the seeds in her head yes and we find out that Pickering and Higgins know each other and they're going to shack up together yeah shack up together which is a really fun idea of Edwardian society that you can just live with your friend for two years yeah, basically. We were talking about that when yeah. we were watching it, is that because this sort of time period, of for, especially for men and gentlemen, titled gentlemen at the time, you sort of could just nip off and see you, stay with your friend for two years, especially if you're a bachelor. But it's kind of like... Gap year. Well, I was more thinking with Jane Austen mm. and similar works where the ladies will go to London... Yes, you go to town for the season. For the season. And it's very similar to that, that he's just... He's staying with Henry for the season. Yeah. And I thought it was really nice to see, like, the male side of it flipped. Mm, That's true. We get the first song that I'd kind of been aware of and I hadn't necessarily remembered. Obviously, I knew The Rain in Spain. By gosh, she's got it. Mm -hmm. But I knew faintly of Wouldn't It Be Lovely from the Simpsons episode. Wouldn't it be adequate? Yeah. Adequate. (laughs) And I looked at you with glee in my face going, I know this one. And that's going to be a theme throughout this musical. I didn't realise how much of this I had heard before. This is... The the thing with it is, Seth MacFarlane, especially for Family Guy, he has a musical theatre background. He references a lot of musical theatre. And if you haven't seen them, which you hadn't to this point yes you don't notice it like i've had friends who haven't seen little shop of horrors before and i've shown it to them and they've gone but that's from family guy yes and i've had that moment a lot of times i started watching family guy when i was 10 Mm. 10 or 11 years old and there was a lot of things that went over my head that in recent years and we're only talking maybe six months to 18 months yeah have I looked at this and realised, oh, they're parodying this. Yeah. I knew My Fair Lady had obviously been important. I didn't realise how important. There was a lot of songs here. It's a very culturally important movie, musical. So we get Wouldn't It Be Lovely. Yeah. Her voice is very classical Hollywood. Yes. We'll touch on that. I agree with you, though, it is... It sounds and like, it is for a reason. Yes, it very much sounds like it's got the echo. Yeah. And the dubbing is very much the way that any musical of its time would have. So, you brought up the dubbing when we were watching it. Yes. Rex Harrison isn't dubbed. He's singing live. You can tell. There's a real difference. And it is... He refused to pre-record because he said that when he speaks his songs, because... Henry Higgins doesn't really sing. No, he doesn't. Most of his is talking, and it works so well with his character. But he said that the way that he performs those songs, he wouldn't be able to do it twice the same way, and that speaking it in a studio 
won't reflect on his acting at all. So he asked if there was a way that he could do it where he would be singing live. And they built the first wireless microphone for this movie. Yeah, and he wore it. That's fantastic. It's the first use of a proper wireless microphone to sing. I think consistently all of his songs were so much fun because they all had a similar kind of orchestral arrangement, Mm -hmm. which was amazing. They had the beats and the bounciness. When he was singing, I knew I was going to enjoy the song. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult to choose a song I love the most because so many of them were... Henry's songs, not just because of the singing, but the orchestra, the composition of it, yeah. was so much fun. Something I thought was quite interesting is Eliza sings about all she wants is chocolate. Yep. Do so you, this is our I Want song. Do you think that played into why Audrey Hepburn's likeness was used to promote Galaxy? So that, that advert parodies Roman Holiday... That's what they're parodying. And she eats chocolate in that too because they're okay. into I've never seen that film. Oh, you'd like it. So I just assumed that it was just a fun kind of quirk. People know her for maybe different films. And... Yeah, no, that's Roman Okay, holiday. that's fine. I just sort of made that connection going, chocolate, galaxy, hmm. Yeah, maybe not. But yeah, so she sings Wouldn't It Be Lovely, which is a sort of group I want song for once because it's the lower classes singing that their sort of basic needs are what they want. They want to be warm and loved. It's I've Got a Dream from Tangled. Yeah. It's we're lowly and we need to, like, love. Which is really nice. Yeah. I didn't know if they were homeless or not. I didn't want to make the assumption. No, they're not. I got that later on, because obviously Dad goes to Eliza's home. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to make the assumption. It's interesting that we never see it, but I guess there's not really any reason for us to see her house. I think the way time was passing in this number they were wrapping up shop but also setting up yeah so i wasn't sure obviously lower class having to work more mm-hmm. than others would to earn a living yeah but i didn't know if this was just because they had nowhere else to be obviously i was wrong but it was something i did wonder at the time mm-hmm. we are then introduced to one of my favorite characters who is her dad excellent and I think that is partly because his character's not overdone. Yeah. I love his introduction. Yes. With him going up to everybody he knows. And everyone knows him because he's a big character. And everyone he comes up to says, not a brass farthing, because <laughs> he asks for money. He's a real cockney geezer. Yeah. I did wonder if he might be a villain, because he seemed quite... There isn't really a villain. There isn't really a villain, which is nice. Yeah. I was worried he might be a villain by the way he comes on, and he's clearly... A hindrance to no, Eliza. I love Alfie. He's great. Exactly, he's not. He's great. I tell you, I really felt he was a retired Jack Sparrow. Yeah. I can just for picture sure. Jack Sparrow's giving up the pirate life. Yeah. And this is what he does. Mm-hmm. He's he just comes across as such a lad because he's been married once before and had Eliza. Yes. And now he's got another woman who he says he's willing to marry. But they're not married. But he refers to her as Eliza's stepmother, which is cute. It is really cute. One of my favourite things that happened was the way they filled the square. Mm -hmm. With the stop, more people come in, stop, more people come in. That was so theatrical. It makes a nice freeze too. It does make a really good freeze frame. 
and I just liked the theatrical nature of it. It's almost paying homage to its theatrical background. Yeah. And I liked that. I think you, you captured it really well, saying it's showing the calm before the storm and gradually building it before it gets yeah. very frantic. And it's a shot and a transition that continues later. And I really... I'll touch on but it later. In a later, different way. In a different yeah. way. But it's more continuity that I really, really appreciated. Mm-hmm. Dad talks with Eliza. and She it's gives clear, him some money. Yeah. And it's clear she aspires to be more than what she is. Yeah. She doesn't want to be a street rat. Yeah. She wants she wants more than this provincial life. Okay. I'm enjoying your jokes for once. It's because they're Disney. Yeah, that's why I'm enjoying them. I think you can see an archetype for where a lot of Disney films developed from this format. Yes, we've talked about it before that the uh, Disney Renaissance, all of those movies were written with the intent of following the Broadway structure. Yes. Of writing a movie musical or a musical which is to have more songs and have the the plot being moved on by the songs rather than there just being songs. So the difference between Disney Cinderella, where they sing So This Is Love at the ball, that didn't have to be a song. That doesn't change anything about the movie. Compared to Beauty and the Beast, where she's singing about what she wants, Gaston sings about what he wants, like... We understand the characters better from their songs. And LeFou sings about what he wants in the yes, best Disney song too. ever. <laughs> but yeah, so we're getting the the true Broadway like background yes. with this. So we then go to Henry Higgins' office. House, yes. And I would kill to have his house. Oh yeah, it's his a- office room with all the the library walls and the spiral staircase and the elevated yeah it's amazing and music to our ears as he plays his recordings of people speaking that's awful it sounded like cats being strangled yeah working for him working for him nightmare but i like it it's more him showing off it's these two pretentious men who have studied dialect Mm. and they're like well look what i've done and to them this is the most fascinating subject. Even I don't even think it is to Pickering. It is to Higgins. But when the part that you're talking about, when he says, how many vowels did you hear? Or how many vowel sounds 24. did you hear? 24. Try 100 more. Yeah. And then he's like, I'll play them for you again. Here's a list. And he's like, oh, are you sure? I've kind of had enough for today. Like, even Pickering doesn't care about this as much as Higgins no. does. But I think this is really important. Both parties need each other. Yeah. Even though it seems like Henry has everything, by the end of the film, he'll realise he doesn't have everything. He needs Eliza to humanise him. Yeah. And there's something nice about that. I think we're in disagreement about Henry's character. Yeah. I think I like him more than you do. You do like him more than I do. But at the same time, I'm aware he's a bit of a dick. Yeah. But not in the way that the Phantom or... Edward R. from Phantom of the Opera. No, he's not as abusive as they No, are. he isn't. He's a man of his time. Yes, sadly. So we finally learn her name. Yeah, Eliza. Have they not said her name until They said time? Eliza. They hadn't said her surname. Do little. I wanted to know, can she walk with the animals? Can she talk with the animals? So she bursts into his office. Yep. And I really struggled understanding her here. Yeah. Because... 
Because she's sort of just going for it. Yeah. I think that's supposed to be the comedy of it, though, is that even the audience sort of loses her at parts. But I think also is frustrated with her. Like, you know, you you are seeing... It, it's really interesting because mm. you're kind of in two minds as to who you view this scene from. Yeah. Are you seeing the world and this scene from Henry's perspective? Mm-hmm. Because like Henry, you are getting very annoyed at her and, and the voice. I think for different reasons, though. Exactly. And then you're also looking at the world from... Eliza's perspective because you know that this could change everything Mm -hmm. I got very frustrated not frustrated she kept saying the same line is she a good girl (laughs) I have no idea I I have no idea how many times did she say it because I know you were doing a tally it stopped after I pointed out the tally it was six at this point in the film but she continued to say film, it, though. I kind of stopped listening for it then. Right. But it was six in very quick succession. Yeah, in that one scene. So she says to Henry... Yes. I'll pay you to teach ten you. shillings. Mm-hmm. No, a, a shilling. Is it a shilling? Yes. I'll pay you a shilling. Yeah. And he goes with his male bravado. Aha, but professor. He's not a professor, it's colonel. Yeah. Aha, but colonel. A shilling to this girl is like £60 to another. To a millionaire, yeah. And... He's not wrong. I really like his comparison. He's showing off it's that male ego. Yeah. That, look at how great I am. And bless her, she gets very, very emotional. She she doesn't really understand what he's talking about. No, and it's quite cruel. Yeah. But not intentionally. I don't think Henry knows he's saying that and... No, he, he consistently treats everybody quite poorly and he doesn't think anything of it because he thinks he's the smartest person in everything. Do you know who he is? He's Benedict Cumberbatch's Sherlock. Which is why I don't like yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch's yeah. Sherlock. He's the smartest person in any room and he knows it. And he has to make sure that everyone else knows it too. And he doesn't mean to offend people. He just does. He just doesn't care what they think. Exactly, it's a side yeah. effect. The... Actual, like, economics of what he's talking about, though. He's not wrong. Eliza offering him a shilling for it per lesson, assuming that that lesson will be, like, an hour long. Yes. That's a lot of money for it her. Is. She doesn't make that much money in a day. No, she doesn't. And for him to throw out £60, that's terrifying. She's pinning all her hopes She would on never him. make that money in her life. No. And, well, we look at what £5 later on will do for her dad. £60, she wouldn't. Yeah. £60 would would not happen, especially per lesson. Mm -hmm. So we get the conversation, what about your boast? You'd be the greatest teacher alive. Yeah. And Pickering says he'll pay for this experiment. Mm -hmm. And the game is afoot. Out of interest, do you know of any movies more recent than this that followed that exact same plot line Pretty Woman yeah what else I'm looking at my pops but they're not helping no they're not going to think about movies where guys make a bet that the guy can make the girl better than she currently is not another teen movie okay yes (laughs) not another teen (laughs) movie is correct but what are they parodying do you know I don't know. It's She's All That. 
she's all that. Which is what they're making fun of in not another teen movie. Boys make a bet that they can turn this geeky girl who wears glasses and has ponytail into prom queen by the yes. end of the year. It's exactly the same plot, and it's the Pygmalion plot over and over yeah. again. But it's used in everything. But it's, I guess it's, it's not dumbing it down, but repurposing it for a different audience who probably wouldn't sit and watch My Fair Lady. Yeah, well, it's the difference between people who'll sit down and watch Emma compared to Clueless. Which, incidentally, one of the homeworks I got was somebody writing a review of Clueless. Amazing. And they referenced that, and I was good, very in- in- impressed, and I could say that, so... <laughs> good. We just talked about that the other day. Yeah. But I just love... I love She's All That, and I love Not Another Teen Movie, and I love that they they are just referencing My Fair Lady. Yeah, and I can see that now. Mm. I'm obviously aware that, of the My Fair Lady format. Yes. But it's more interesting when you explicitly see it in other realms of pop culture. Yeah, but we've had the inciting incident now. They have made the bet. Yes. And I do note down here, Mr Higgins may be smart, but he has zero social skills. Will he also learn from her? Mm-hmm. Poor Eliza and is a And the answer is, no, he won't learn from her. He doesn't change. He, no. He changes her entirely and he refuses to change himself. He doesn't change himself, but I think he's more open. He's willing to drop the bravado and at least show vulnerability. No. Not to her. He shows it to the audience, which isn't the same. It's all this, the whole John Cena thing all over again. <laughs> John Cena and Nikki Bella. Yeah. <laughs> Tell oh, what we've been doing in isolation. <laughs> I am so over the moon. A complete side note. <laughs> I am over the moon that I have got you into Total Divas. Hey, if you have to watch musicals, I can watch, like, the trashy off-brand wrestling. Yes, exactly. If I have learned one thing from the podcasts that I listen to, the way to get your girlfriend into wrestling is Total Divas. That's your entry level. Yeah, and the way to get your boyfriend to watch musicals is to force him to sit down and watch musicals. Exactly. (laughs) I do feel bad for Eliza that she is just a lab rat. Yeah. And I don't think she deserves the treatment. Pickering is a lot nicer to her. She touched on it later. But I think at the initial conversation point here... He doesn't really know what to do. I don't think Pickering would ever have spoken to someone like her. No, the only person who seems to have her back at this point is Mrs Pierce or Miss Pierce. Yeah, Miss Pierce. Uh, And I think Mrs Pierce as well just sort of thinks this girl... Mrs Pierce, because she is working class, she's the head of the household for Miss Henry Higgins. But... That makes her middle class. Yes. Because she's of a higher estate. She works at a higher level. It's not like she's going out to work every day. She doesn't even have to do any cleaning because that's what the maids are for. She's just head of household. Well, I teach status and performing status. Mm. And one of the things I say is I have status by my job. However, when I leave my job... Mm -hmm. I'm no different to anyone else. Yeah. But when I step through into the school, yeah. immediately by my attire, but also the way I speak and conduct myself, my status is raised. Mm-hmm. It's not massively different, but it's similar here. Yeah. She has status afforded to her because of the scenario. Mm-hmm. But But it means that she also has an understanding of where Eliza's coming from. Yes. Because she's sort of in that in-between of exactly. uh, classes class system she 
can see that Eliza doesn't understand what she's getting herself into. She doesn't understand what the men are talking about. And that there's not really a way to explain it to Eliza no. because... She's so panicked. She doesn't have any range for comparison. Like, exactly. How do you explain to her that they're talking about economics when she won't have a concept for that? Yeah. She lives day to day by the money she can make. It's not like she's doing like long-range future planning. No. But anyway, Mrs. Pierce is an unsung hero of this movie. There's a lot of moments Mrs. Pierce should have spoken up. She she should smack Henry Higgins a couple of times. We do get some nice comedy, even if it is a little upsetting. Like what? When Eliza is is presented with a bath. Oh yeah. She's, she doesn't know what she would she never have been fully in water before. But I think it's actually, it's funny, but I was looking at little Thompson thinking, that's very invasive. These women are stripping off and telling her she's going to go in that. That's mm-hmm. must be really scary if she doesn't understand what's going on. Yeah. I can imagine when she got in the bath, she was probably like, oh, wow, this is heaven. But, but it might not be because the other was... thing is she probably isn't. The water that Eliza would be bathing in, the class that she is, and the time period that this is, 1901 to 1910, she would not have ever submerged her whole body in water. She wouldn't understand why people would do that, because she knows how to have a wash, which is to clean yourself. To clean your face. Your face and your hands and your maybe your body, but from like a basin yes and if you were putting hot water in that you have to boil it from the kettle and you can see the level of steam only gets worse as they're fighting her off yeah i think that's because they put stuff in the water though yeah but she when she walks into the bathroom she says oh is this where you wash clothes and she's like no this is where we wash ourselves she's a real fish out of water she doesn't understand what's happening and nobody tries to explain it to her no they just instantly go to strip her mm-hmm. and you do get the little bit of humor that Henry's disturbed in his office because he can hear the scream. Yeah. And then you see the maids come downstairs carrying all of her clothes. Yes. And I do... He's a difficult character to gauge because he does come across nice and then he's seen something like Woman in Your Life. Yep. And again, I, I love the orchestra, the range. I really this. like this song. It is funny. It is. It's great. And we then cut from Henry's house back to London. Mm-hmm. As we get a little bit of luck. Which, Excellent song. My dad used to sing this when I was a kid, and it's great. It sounds very much like a Dick Van Dyke Mary Poppins song. Yes. This is the Cockney Gentleman About Town. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it could be Chim Chim Churu. Yeah. It, it, if you had presented that song to me, honestly, as a reject from Mary Poppins, yeah. I'd have believed you. Except they're singing about drinking. Yeah. I'm not... I'm not critiquing it. No. I liked it. It's a good song. It was a very good song. There's one thing that I noticed in that that I've never noticed before, and I haven't watched this film particularly recently. I've actually seen the stage show more recently than the film. But in the background of one of the verses of Little Bit of Luck, you have a group of women come on playing a band with a Votes for Women sign and they march through and Alfie stands at the front of them and pretends to lead their parade. In the background, there are men screaming abuse at all of the women and telling yeah. them to go home and like go back to the kitchen because they're women. They, should, they don't need to vote. But then there's a great line after the women go off where somebody says to him, oh, you make a great suffragette, Alfie. And he goes, yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's great. That's sort of a throwaway, but it is funny. 
we see Eliza trapped in a clockwork orange machine, mooing the alphabet. Yeah. So she's strapped into a gramophone and she has to say her alphabet. Or her vowels. A-E-I-O-U. And she can't. We get a patriarchy scene. Yeah. When Alfie sells Eliza for five pounds. Yes, and it's not specifically said in that scene that he sold her, but then later on, Higgins says, she belongs to me, I bought her for five pounds. And then you get your favourite bit of character dialogue. Well, I really like that he's honest. Yeah. Because he's offered ten pounds. He asks five, he's offered ten. Yeah, because Henry really likes the cut of his jib. Yes. And he says, no, because what would I do with £10? He says the wife wouldn't have the heart to spend £10. But he means himself. He's going to spend it. But He is. But I think it's really nice that he is honest. Mm-hmm. He's not a con man. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't make me feel like he's selling Eliza. So this is what I realise. He's not the villain. Yeah. He's not selling Eliza for gain for him. Yeah. He understands what she's getting from it. Yes. And it is really nice that he just sticks with what he's he's asked for. Mm. But on his way out, he spanks Eliza like he would a donkey. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It is weird. It's like selling a property. Although, I, yeah. Yeah, it is a very selling a property thing. I you sort done... of get that they're not, they don't really have a father-daughter relationship. No. They're sort of aware of each other. They kind of tolerate each other. Yeah. And she will give him money when he demands it. In a sort of, oh, well, he's my dad kind of way. Yes, but it's quite nice that that tie is now broken. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's, you're, you're cutting a big rock off Eliza's baggage. Yeah, but and also it's really nice when they meet later it in is. the film. It is, and that's a really nice bit. you can see that they're completely separated now. Exactly. We'll get to that. Yeah. Jumping ahead. Just you wait. Brilliant song. So much fun. Yeah. And a very animated Audrey Hepburn. Mm-hmm. You know, very animated. And it's so much fun to watch. She she tears the paper off the gramophone recording. What did you think about her singing of that song? I liked it. Yeah. She's... So it's very, like, gruff. Yes, and it worked. It was perhaps the best performed song by Eliza. Mm-hmm in the film because it felt more Eliza's voice Mm -hmm. and then we get the Vaseline smeared on the camera to trigger the dream sequence we talked about this a couple of times is that as soon as somebody's in love or something dramatic is happening that they're daydreaming about you have the the vignette around the camera except it's done with Vaseline to make it all blurry and dreamy and we get the king yep She's infatuated in her dream sequence with Eliza. Yes. And, and she can have anything she wants. Yep. And she asks for Henry Higgins' head to be cut off. Which was fun. And then he's brought down by firing squad. And killed on the carpet. But the costume design of the king yep. was... Oh, he looks exactly, exactly like him. Exactly the same. Really, And even the actor, that was really yeah, scary. it was really good casting, really good costume design. But... One of my favourite things about that scene is that when she's looking at her dream Henry lying on the floor dead, she then hears him speak and she looks up at the stairs 
And then she looks back down and obviously he's not there anymore, but she's staring at the carpet thinking, oh God, that was such, not an overreaction, but that's a horrible thing to have thought about yes. somebody. And then when he tells her to go and practice again, she just goes and she thinks, no, that was wrong. I know that. And I like that in her. <laughs> she may She's not be learned, a commoner. But she knows moral. Exactly. I feel sometimes she's got more street smarts than he has. And she, she has knows... more world smarts. Exactly. Yeah. She's 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 well learned in a different sense than he in is. In an emotional sense. Exactly. Yeah. We get one of my favourite scenes, which I have seen mocked before in Family Guy, yeah. is the H's and speaking them properly. Yeah. And Eliza's having so much fun. With the mirror. Harking into the mm. flame and looking at the mirror. She accidentally burns the paper. Yeah. No one's paying her any attention, though. <laughs> Pickering even notices, and he's like, uh, Higgins. And Higgins is just like, carry on saying your vows. <laughs> Nobody yes. cares what she's doing particularly. And then we get a song from The Help. Poor Mr. Higgins. They have more sympathy for the man higher above than them than he the person. Pays them. I know he pays them. I know he pays them. But I think they are they... closer in station to Eliza and understand mm. that they could quite easily have gone the way of Eliza rather than the way they have gone. However, you have in his household, you have head of household, which is Mrs. Pierce. You have two maids, like upstairs maids. And then there's two maids who are downstairs maids, who we see later on. Yes. And a butler and a footman. And to start with, you only see the maids, the footman and Mrs. Pierce. And then later on, we meet the other characters. Those kind of jobs you're born into... Like, your mother would be a lady's maid and then growing up you would be trained to be a lady's maid and you would take over when she retires. Like, those kind of jobs you don't earn. Yes. You are born into. It's luck. Yeah. So they are a class above... Have you ever watched Downton Abbey? No. That's where a lot of my knowledge about this is coming from. Downton Abbey, similar to this, you have all of the servants that are allowed to go upstairs in the manor and all the servants that aren't allowed to go upstairs and there is a clear division between the two and then you have the difference between the servants that work in the manor and the the workers who work in the farms that are on the grounds of the manor and people who do like menial jobs like the footmen who are uh, the drivers for them the drivers don't talk to the cooks or to the maids because they're all of different class stations which So even within the household, there's different classes. Which seems very weird to me, I guess. Yeah. You would think that they would be like, well, we're all servants, but there are different levels. Well, yeah. Yeah, so you have all of the... The staff actually do look down on Eliza because she isn't the same class level as them, even though they're both working class or lower class. She's still not on their level yeah. because she works in the street. She's dirty. She doesn't have a bath. Like... The servants that live in his house use an actual bathtub. She has a wash. Like, that. there's a difference. Fair enough. So we cut to a scene where one of the practices... It feels like this is a montage of her training. Mm -hmm. Her training in the force. And he asks her to put these marbles in her 
mouth and try to speak as if they're not there. Now, I have no idea. I, I this don't... is a real practice. That's crazy. I don't understand how it helps. It's, it was developed, I believe, to help lisps. Okay. To Rather try and than... say words without using your tongue so much. To keep your tongue flat while okay. you're talking. And I don't know that it ever worked. It doesn't seem like good practice. No. She swallows one of them. Yeah, she does. Which is funny. It's and so funny. And he just bats off going, her, don't worry, I've got plenty. Her reaction to it was she sat there with her eyes really wide and he's like, what's wrong? It was at this point I did kind of look at her costume and the way she was represented. And I could see the appeal in Kira Knightley being cast as Eliza. Mm. They, I looked at her in that moment and I thought, oh, I could see oh, yeah. Kira Knightley in that moment. Obviously, I'm not saying she's the right casting for it. I don't mm. know if she can sing. I, I think I, it would have been a straight movie. Yeah. Not a Which I don't think it would work. I think it's She the, thought that works. So like... I think it's the songs that make me enjoy this. Yeah. And I think you take this story with these characters and you remove the songs, mm-hmm. I think you are missing a lot of the magic and the charm. Yeah, and I mean, this was a play first, so... Yeah. They're starting to get a little bit... Exasperated. Yeah. yeah, disheartened. And we see Henry being a lot nicer to Eliza. For the first time, it feels like their, their time together is brought them closer. Yeah, and he's being worn down as well because he's not making the difference to her that he thought he would straight away. Yeah. And he says, conquer it, you will. Mm -hmm. And she suddenly gets it. Yeah. And he and Pickering look at each other. By gosh, she's got it. By James, she's got it. And it's it's brilliant. And it does feel really triumphant when she mm-hmm. gets it. You, f- you feel like you're part of the celebration. Yeah, and they all go mad too. They stop acting like members of society and they... Uh, they lose themselves. Yeah, they're dancing around the room and he waltzes with Eliza. And yes. Makes her very happy. And they hatch their plan. Yes. We need to test her out. And where better to go than Ascot? Than Ascot. I do wonder what dirty secrets Pickering's hiding, because he's got common knowledge on how to purchase a dress. Yes, he does. Which I think is a <laughs> just sort of a reference to like maybe Pickering's a bit of a ladies' man. Possibly. He knows where to buy a nice dress from. I, it's nice though. It's just like a throwaway exactly. line. Exactly. And then Eliza sings her second sort of "I want song." It felt like a child on Christmas Eve. Yeah, that's what it's supposed to feel like. Yeah. It's the first time he's been nice to her, and, ever. Yeah, and it, it's a really nice song. Yeah. This is I Could Have Danced All Night, which I'm... is arguably the most famous song from this. Really? Yeah. Huh. It's used a lot. It's I've never, I've never come across it. Interesting. It wasn't one of my favourite songs. It was good, and it's fun. It's, it's fun, but I think of all the songs featured by the, the main characters, it was... It wasn't up there. It was kind of middle of the line. Not a bad thing. Maybe it's the singing. Which did you prefer? Which of her songs did you prefer? Henry Higgins. All right, okay, cool. We'll (laughs) we'll talk about it more at the end. Yeah. We get... So we go to Ascot. We do, and this is my favourite scene in this whole movie, and it's something that Julie Andrews did an excellent little bit about when I saw her. What did she say? So in the version that she directed, she was trying to explain to her cast that in order to act this scene, 
you have to sing without moving any muscles in your body. Oh, wow. Because you're standing perfectly still and as rigid as possible, but you have to make your words sound like you are the most excited you have ever been. Because they're singing about how thrilling Ascot is and they're singing about... I think there's a line that's um, what a dashing, absolutely smashing opening on the Ascot racing day. Like, they're singing about how thrilling it is. Their pulses are racing and it's so exciting, but you have to stand completely still and not move. Yes. And she said that it's her, her number one rule about singing is that you need to be saying actual words that have meaning and put all your power into your, on, into your meaning Otherwise, it's not going to work. This was a very fun sequence. I love that scene. And I love the callback to the still image. Mm-hmm. Especially... Except this time, it's because we're all tied into our clothes. Yes. But I just... I also like that... The first time we saw it, it's very much from the poorer mm-hmm. The working class, yeah. And now we're seeing the richer side of things. And I like the idea that even though some people have more luxury, at our core, we're the same. Yeah. I like things like that. The difference being, in our freeze frame at the beginning, as soon as everyone can move, when that freeze stops, we're all going at 100 miles an hour. In this, as soon as you can move from that freeze frame, it's so slow and so refined. They have nowhere to be. They can take their time with everything that they do. Everything is exquisitely choreographed. Yeah, the choreography for this was just amazing Mm -hmm. because it's so precise. You said to me, some people wouldn't call this choreography. Because it's walking. But that's crazy to me, because one person walks a second too early or a second too late, and you mm. lose this big this big feature. Yeah, they all have very specific tracks, so that everyone... They're all wearing ridiculously large hats, which, if you've ever seen pictures of Ascot races, is still a thing. But every time somebody moves, what they're wearing or holding is going to hit somebody else, yes. unless that person moves at exactly the right time. So it has to be perfectly choreographed there's a great one where a woman turns around with her arm out just as another woman sits down and it misses her head by a couple of inches but there's also the man who turns greets one woman turns around to greet another woman yeah he nearly bops a woman with his stick that sequence ends and henry comes in looking for his mum and it's immediately clear that within ascot he's eliza Mm -hmm. because he's out of his depth yeah and that's really interesting as a dynamic and it it's another one of those situations that does make you question why he doesn't have more sympathy. Mm-hmm. But that's because he's just not aware of how people see him. him. yeah. And that's really fun. So all of the gentlemen at Ascot wear grey suits and top hat and tails, basically, almost. Yeah. And carry a cane or an umbrella. All of the women wear black and white, with maybe the exception of Henry's mum, and wear a big hat and carry a parasol. Yes. Or a pair of... Binoculars. Binoculars, yeah. And then Henry's mum wears sort of a lavendery grey colour just to make it clear that she's 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 important. We're here to see her. So they come in and it's but my point was Henry's wearing brown. Yeah, Henry wears brown, but they, they then come in and they sit in her private box mm-hmm. and he introduces and my favourite character. Eliza has a suitor. Yes. Freddie, Freddie my love. Hill. And he's a fop, and we love him. I loved this whole sequence. I can see why it's your favourite, but especially when they're sat down. Yeah. Because they're so... They're so into everything she says. Mm-hmm. And she's doing such a good job. And then, uh-oh, she's only gone, done, bloody blown it. 
Yeah, it's amazing. So she does such a good job for such a long time. And then we get to the races and the difference between the aristocracy mm. making their bets. Freddie gives her his betting card yeah, um, because she was too late in arriving to make a bet on the racing. And... <laughs> she goes and makes an ascot of herself. Yeah, a little bit. So she, as the horses run past, none of the aristocracy talk. You stand and you watch. Yes. And then you say, oh, wasn't that thrilling? Very thrilling. Amazing. And then it's over and we don't talk about it anymore. But she shouts the best line in the whole show, which is, come on, Dover, move your blooming ass." And it is fun. And it's one of those bits that throughout this whole sequence, even when she's talking to the other people in the box. Mm-hmm. You can see Henry and P- uh, and Pickering... Cringing. Cringing. Yeah. But no one cares. Mm-mm. They're just really into this story of what happened to the what hat. What happened to her aunt, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, not the hat. What happened to the aunt and how she was done in. Yeah. For a hat. And yeah, it's... and none of them understand what done in means. And then Henry says, Which oh, is... it's, it's new small talk, it means killed. Which, incidentally, is how I feel in my classroom a lot sometimes yeah. with all this new slang and I, I used to small talk it is and it's crazy and I used to used to be hip and now I'm not no I I resonate with those ascot people yeah which scares like, me oh okay um, but it's so interesting because Henry has probably heard this story before he tells all these people what done in means and then they sudden they immediate reaction is feel really sorry for her. And they're like, oh my goodness, you can't possibly think that somebody killed your aunt. That's awful. They also think that she's a lady, so they would have heard of this. Exactly. But they, they're all suddenly really worried for her and they think it's terrible. And they're all really engaged in this conversation. And the race starts and she blows it. Yeah. And they, they go back It's not to... the end of the world, clearly, because it isn't. But it is to Eliza at that moment in time. Yeah, because she realises... She goes home and she doesn't want to speak to anyone. Mm-hmm. Freddie, my love, shows up. And sings my favourite song of this musical. But he wants to dote on Eliza. Mm. And she's not willing to take guests because it is the she's end of the so world upset. for her. Yeah. Because she, she can see where she's made progress and it's kind of like, at this mm. point, I'll never change, I'm stuck. Now, this is where the interval should be, you said, but they've added a scene. Yes, they've added a scene to let us know that the embassy ball is coming up, which is where they're going to debut her. And it's six weeks away, and we don't stand a chance. No, and it has what we would now probably see as like a smash cut. Yes. Where Pickering says, we're giving it up, we're not doing this anymore, the bet's off, do you hear me? We're not doing this. And then it cuts... To the, night, to the night of the party. And that would be like a comedic smash cut now. Because you see that in movies all the time. Yes. Where people are like, I'm not doing it. I'm telling you, it's not going to happen. And then it cuts and they're doing the thing they've said they're and not really going to And we get some nice, fun elements. Um, it's utterly indecent. You can't have a glass of port. Utterly indecent that you don't need a glass of port. But what's really great is that Henry then does. sneaks yeah, one and looking yeah. to make sure he doesn't. And it, Henry does care. You can see the nerves on him, but also just the fascination with how beautiful she looks. Henry mm. does care. And he she, goes back and gives her his arm. And she glistens like Edward Cullen in the sunlight. She's very sparkly in the scene. Yes. We've sort of skimmed over my favourite song. What's your favourite song? Sorry, I want to talk about oh, it. Street Where You Live. Yeah. So Freddie shows up. 
he doesn't really know anything about this girl. His mother knows Higgins's mother. That's how they're in their box. Um, he doesn't know anything about her except for that her aunt nearly died, was fed gin and bit the bowl off of a spoon and that uh, her father is also an alcoholic. And then that she's willing to swear in front of the entire ascot party and then just sort of rocks up at her house. I feel you, Eliza. See, yeah, but it's like less saviory and he's just sort of there. He's he's just young and in love and he doesn't know anything about the world and the song that he sings is really pretty and I just really like it. It is. And also I love Jeremy Brett. It's (laughs) it's a good song. It really helps that it's him. And we get the intermission. Yes. Which is shown on our film of an intermission. Yeah, because old movies had intermissions. Which which is fantastic. We got our ice cream. We did. We had some nice soya ice cream. Yeah. (laughs) Went down a treat. Yep. And Act 2 starts. Yes, and And we pick up at the Embassy Ball, which is at Buckingham Palace. So this time she can't mess up. The stakes are already there. Exactly, and we love stakes. Yeah. Stakes are what make stories. Yes, and then we we meet stake number two. Henry's first and best student. The most irritating human being on earth, the Sultan, the Hungarian. Yes, and he's... He's so obnoxious mm-hmm. and he's so arrogant that Henry looks modest by comparison. Yeah, which you wouldn't think was possible. Exactly. And it's nice character work. Yeah. It's a short moment. He does a lot in no time at all. Yeah. You know everything about his character very quickly, mm-hmm. which is going to be important for this set piece. Yeah, he works for the lady that is hosting this party. He works for her. Yes. And as soon as she's introduced to Eliza, she wants to know more about her. Which... Eliza does a great job of looking She's so nervous. so good, yeah. And my heart was in my throat. I just, I, I didn't want her to mess up. And I was so scared for her. Yeah, because you know it would take one thing exactly. for her to mess up. But she's doing such a good job. And you can see all the... I said Debs when we were watching this. Yes. You, all of the debutantes that are at this ball, because that's what it is. An embassy ball, they would have been introducing young women mm-hmm. to be of a like marriageable age. Like Jane Austen. Yeah. She's too old to be a debutante. So all of these girls want to know who she is. Because it is confirmed. I did ask you how old she is whilst we were watching. She's 21. We sure. She's 21. Yeah. Which is too old. Which is too old to be a deputy. Because yeah. by 21, you should be married with a kid or two. Um, ladies of society-wise, probably... Well, so if she had money, no. She wouldn't have to be. If she was, like, in line to inherit a lot of money, she'd be fine. Yes. If she was of a, like, marriageable age in society and wasn't going to get that much money... Like um, Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Then, yes, she would have been married by now. The debutante introduction is when you're 17 or 18 okay. and you're introduced to the king or the queen and it's for titled people. I was surprised at how colourful the Queen of Transylvania was. I know, I purple e- dress, I yeah. half expect her to be black dress with a cape over her mouth. Mm, <laughs> if all you know about Transylvania is that Dracula, then that's sad. I don't know much about Transylvania. Okay. So, yes, 
the student has now become the master in his view and he is hired by the hostess yeah. and he is trying to... He's tasked with figuring out yeah. who Eliza is. In the meantime, Henry's trying to help her keep her distance. Yeah. And then... She sort of doesn't need his help. She's so interesting to everyone there. And the king of Transylvania comes and escorts her. Was it the prince? Crown prince. Crown... Not what? crown prince. It was... It's like a married... He's married to the queen, so he's a prince. Yeah. He escorts her up and the queen of Transylvania introduces her son. Yeah. Would you dance? My heart is beating. I really What's she going to say to him? Oh, God. They dance. And everyone's impressed. spectacularly well. Because when the Queen of Transylvania is walking down, everyone curtsies and greets her, and she's really taken aback by Eliza. Mm -hmm. So I think that she struck a chord. Henry dances with her. Yeah. And then Henry passes her... To Zoltan. To Zoltan. Which, at that point, I'm thinking, okay. Yeah. They were nervous because he's going to try and show them up. Yeah. And this is Henry showing how confident he is in Eliza mm-hmm. because he's he's not going to stand in her way anymore. Yes. Did I get that right? Yeah, you got that right. But then the next thing that you thought was happening was not. So, so Zoltan, they dance, the dance ends, she walks away. Zoltan immediately goes to the hostess and whispers in her ear. And I was worried that she'd been caught Yeah. Out. And then this whisper goes around the entire party in a very excellent scene where as she's dancing the with Chinese the prince, whispers. the whispers are following yes. her. I loved that. What did you think they were talking about in that part? I knew they were talking about her. But you thought they were revealing that she wasn't I didn't think it was good because Zoltan looked really satisfied. Yes. And he was... But when Henry laughed, I knew that Zoltan had got it wrong. Yeah. And that's great. Which is... But I think that's what they want you to think. Yeah. And we we then... That's the point of that sequence. We then find out that... He thinks that she's a Hungarian princess. But not before we get You Did It. The worst song, yeah. I liked it. They're just so self-absorbed and congratulatory. yes. To the point that Audrey Hepburn, one of the most classically beautiful women ever, is capable of just turning into wallpaper. I know. And I'm not criticising the song for that element, because I agree. Oh no, but it's that's... not that it's a bad song. I hate the context of okay, this song. Okay, fair enough. It I makes me really angry. See, I really like the lyrics. I don't I feel so bad that Eliza has become a wallflower. Yeah. And that's She's heartbreaking. Vanishes, yeah. It's heartbreaking because you can see this pain on her face. But the song and the the the, the, the way that they're talking is the way great. they're talking and the words they use and the rhythm to it is so much fun. It's mm-hmm. a very well written song. I especially love when he rhymes Budapest with Rudapest. Yes. And they have this self-congratulatory session, completely forget about the person who's actually done the hard work. And then on his way out, he tells her to turn the lights out and leave me a note for Mrs. Pierce in the morning. This it week, makes me so angry. Yeah. <laughs> he would treat because her like that. she then has this breakdown where she starts crying. And I completely... I think every anyone who's been to a big party can understand that feeling of when by the time you get home, you're so exhausted. But then I also think there's that element of once you've worked for something for so long mm. and it's and finally it's happened, you don't feel relieved. It's it's almost like you're mourning it. Yeah, and she especially doesn't know what comes next no. here. She she's, she's going into the unknown. Yeah. 
and it's scary for her. And the feelings come out by throwing the slippers yeah. at Henry. Yep. Completely valid. And Henry doesn't understand it. He doesn't understand what he's done wrong here. But he does in some kind of way care for her too, because when she's giving back the jewellery, so he says, anything under this house is yours except the jewellery because we loaned that. What about this ring? Well, it's your ring. I bought it for yeah, you. Well, you can have it. I don't want it. He's taken aback by it, and you can tell at this point... He tries to hit her, and it's not even... Was he going to hit her? He said yeah. he wasn't. He was lashing out, and okay. he just sort of explodes with anger. And up to this point, we haven't really seen any emotions no. from him, so it's a big deal. But that's why it was kind of clear he does care. And I think this is a character who's done such a good job at suppressing his emotions. He doesn't know what to do when he's actually presented with them. Mm. Obviously, he shows them in the wrong way yes but at this point it's clear both characters care for each other but they don't want to say it yeah and she makes a decision to leave Mm -hmm. we get henry higgins reprise yep and then we get another favorite song of mine which is show me this is freddie my love returning so freddie comes back he's still outside that house he's gotten changed so he's left and come back But apparently, I would according hope to so him, after six weeks, according to him, he comes every single night to stand outside her door in the hopes that she will come out because he writes her a couple of letters a day, which are three or four sheets long each. Yes, sheets and sheets. And this time, she actually does come out of the door, and he sees her. And as she's walking, he tries to profess his love to her, and he starts singing this really nice little aria. And then she gets really mad at him because she's sick of men giving her words and nothing else. And she I, kind of I think that's on the same fair. role as Henry a little bit here, that where Henry's led her on a little bit, deliberate or not, she's leading him on a little bit. The issue, the difference is, if Freddie and her get married, Freddie will not get anything from his family. He'll be cut off. Yeah. Which means she has to get a job. Yeah. It's not like she would marry him and live in luxury. No, exactly. She would need a job to be able to support them both. To support him, yeah. And that's not fair on him, really, because... No, because she's not selfish. Yeah, she's not like that. that real world... You know, she knows where she's come from and she doesn't want to have to subject Henry... She doesn't want to have to subject Freddie to that. Yeah, and it's not... Because Freddie has no skills. No, and his love for her isn't even real. It's it's based on this fictionalised version exactly. of her that he thinks is there. And she goes back to the markets. I love that as they run into the taxi, Freddie shouts, I haven't got any money. Oh, yeah. She's so quick been... a taxi. I haven't got any money. I do. Has he been walking to there and back every time? Yeah, I think so. Crazy man. But love does crazy things. A rich, silly boy... And I really appreciate. I really enjoy his character because he is just funny. He doesn't really have a character to him. He's no. just a, a sweetie. And we then get middle class morality. Oh yeah, which is super funny. Oh, that reveal of Alfie. Yeah. In his Sunday best. Because he's about speaking to get properly. Yeah. Because that five pounds has somehow translated into him inheriting. £4,000. A year. A year. For the rest of his life. So what happened was when he leaves 
Higgins's house with the five pounds, Higgins made a joke about, oh, I've been talking to this American who wanted me to introduce him to somebody who could give lectures on morality. And Alfie's just given this whole speech about morality. So he writes a letter to this American guy who then gets in touch with Alfie Doolittle and then very suddenly dies and leaves all of his money to Alfie, which suddenly makes Alfie new money, but also shoots him way upwards to sort of upper middle class because of the sheer amount of money he yeah. has, which means that his girl, who he called Eliza's stepmom, now wants to marry him and be an honourable woman. Yes. Thinking about the timescale of this, what do you think the odds are that Alfie would have been on the Titanic? He wouldn't have gone to America. Do you not think? No. Not with that new money, not with that money, not no. with his wife who wants to... Nah, he's a London chap, he'll be fine. We have a few more hours being sung, and I'm thinking, oh, we're going to have a nice kind of funeral dirge. Yeah, and, and then, then it becomes an absolute bop. It becomes a song that I was familiar with. Mm -hmm. I had no idea it was from this, but I should have been. So last year, yep. when we were courting... Sure, in the summer. <laughs> at the start of our romance. Yeah. We were watching The Proms. Yeah, musicals at The Proms. And on comes I'm Getting Married in the Morning. Mm -hmm. And I remember your mum being shocked, absolutely shocked, Yeah. that I had no idea that this song was from My Fair Lady. I was too, because had you heard of it? I, yeah, I knew I'm getting married in the morning. We've just watched Friday Night Dinner, where Jim oh, sings it. it. Yeah. And but, you'd said that to me a few days ago, that this will make more sense to you soon. I'd already forgotten. Yeah. But I just remember this... This is early in our relationship, where I am <laughs> on really my best behaviour. Yeah. I still am. Yeah, but Correct. I'm doing everything to make sure that your parents like me. Yeah. I'm trying not to step a foot out of line. And not knowing the songs from My Fair Lady. I felt like I'd blown it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I have finally seen the source of I'm Getting Married in the Morning. Mm -hmm. And I loved every second of it. Good. It is such a funny song. It's a really good break. Yeah. It's... Because the life is miserable at this it point. Is. You've kind of got, like... The story has been on this kind of upwards mobility. It's mm -hmm. it, it's on this upward trend, and it's it's taking a big roller coaster plummet. Mm -hmm. And we need something to keep our spirits high, and this song is perfect for it. And the way it's shot, I just loved every second of it, especially the ending. <laughs> Where he's being carried off. With his lily and his hat on his chest. It was because brilliant. He's going to his funeral. Speak highly enough of this whole section. Yeah. I think every good film, especially romantic comedies, which I would say this is a romantic comedy. Mm, sure, if you think this is romantic. For lack of a better kind of definition. Yeah. They're in love. I wouldn't say it's a romance. I think you can have love without romance. Yeah. It's a different kind of romance, it's a different yeah. kind of love. But all these films, they kind of have this upwards trajectory of the, the characters are really into each other and something's got to happen in the kind of final third of the film where 
all that good work is undone and they go their separate ways and everything's miserable. But it's only going to go back up again. Exactly. And it's that same kind of plot line here. And whereas others just have that kind of montage of loneliness Mm. that keeps you feeling at the same level, we have I'm getting married in the morning (laughs) to boost you and just feel like it's not all hopeless. Yeah. At least someone's happy in this situation. Yeah, it is a great song. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And then Eliza asks Freddie to take her to Mrs Higgins's house because the best place to hide from Henry is probably at his mum's house. Yes. And we have another great underrated character, which is Mrs Higgins, where she says... They really didn't give you any credit for anything that you did and they sat there and congratulated themselves the whole time. Wow, yeah. I can't believe you only threw his slippers at him. Which is <laughs> Which great. Which is great. Coming from his mum, like he, she hasn't she doesn't owe this girl anything. Before that's happened, we go back to Henry's house and we see that both Henry and the Colonel Pickering, yeah. Are in a real state with her disappearance Mm -hmm. and they're trying to find her you know Pickering's going to the home office to try and find her and he's lodged a missing persons report and he can't say the colour of her eyes or colour of her hair but but Henry can because he's noticed her it's still not romantic (laughs) it isn't but we then get another brilliant song why can't a woman be more like a man which is hilarious and we get the brilliant line historically fair to describe men yes obviously obviously a man's perspective historically and the line that made us laugh the most which was uh women why do they why do women always do what their mothers do yeah (laughs) which is quite funny i this is the moment i really wanted mrs pierce to just slap henry yeah because he starts singing it to her singing it to her and she just looks at him she just can't see her face in the back of her head I, I think Mrs. Pierce, at a certain point in her job working for him, just sort of gave up listening to what he was saying. Oh, yeah. And she's she long just, suffering. She's the unsung hero. Yeah. And she knows that she's that he's not talking about her or women in general. He's just talking about Eliza. Exactly. And everything he's saying, it does make me laugh because he his whole point is why can't she just be honest with me and tell me how she's feeling? says the guy that can't Hasn't talk about his nice. feelings and doesn't know how to be honest. So, yeah, then we, we cut to Mrs Higgins mm-hmm. and we get this lovely moment between the pair of them and in walks Henry. Mm-hmm. And his mum's very critical. Yep. And she goes off to meet a bishop in another room. But as she leaves, we get a sick burn. Yes. She tells Henry, stick to two subjects, the weather and your health. Which is what he had told Eliza to talk about. Which is a lovely callback. And they have their arguments. Yes. I didn't take many notes at this one because I was so into the action. Yeah, but it was great because she she basically tells Higgins, the whole world doesn't revolve around you, you need to start being more considerate. All of these things, she names, she lists a bunch of things that will still work in the world without his existence. But I also like the way she says that Pickering, regardless of my station, treats me like a lady but you will always treat me like a flower girl so I will never be anything more yeah and I think that's a really lovely line yeah Yeah, that you treat someone 
in a certain mm. way, then they will be that. To you, yeah. Exactly. But if you never, if you always treat them with something below, mm-hmm. how are they ever going to aspire to be more? And it's a really lovely idea. And it's established she's going she's gonna to go about her own business now. Mm-hmm. She gonna, says you will never see me again. You'll never see me again. I'm going to marry Freddie. I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to do what you do. I'm going to teach phonetics. And just to put salt in the wound, I'm going to go and work for that Hungarian. <laughs> yes. And he, he does stand up. He says, this is what I wanted. You are now a strong woman. Mm. And but he doesn't mean it. He's just... He doesn't mean it. Bravado again. Exactly. This is... So she sings without you. Mm-hmm. This is, this is when I started to question. Is Audrey Hepburn singing? No. So Audrey Hepburn sings one song in this whole show. Don't you just love it? Could it took me that long in the film to kind of finally, yes. finally look at you and say, mm-hmm. is she singing? Mm-hmm. What song does she sing? Is it Mrs Higgins? Mr Higgins? Uh, yeah, it's Henry Higgins, Just You Wait. Which is probably why it's my favourite song of hers, because it is Audrey Hepburn and it feels more authentic. Yeah, the rest of them are sung by a incredibly talented woman called Marnie Nixon, who started her career as a dub voice for movie musicals. Yeah. And unfortunately did not until very recently get any credit for any of it. I was get that do you know that was my next question because I didn't see her name. Yeah, no, she's not credited in this movie. So this is This is the episode of Friends where well, she thinks she's singing Smelly Cat and it's not her. And she and she has that one go, wow, would you like, I sound good. Would you like to take a guess at some other names, maybe, that she might have done the voice for, other than Audrey Hepburn? Honestly, I couldn't tell you. I don't know enough about musicals of this time. Okay, so she was the voice, the singing voice of Deborah Kerr in The King and I. Okay. She was the singing voice of Natalie Woods in West Side Story. They didn't tell Natalie Woods. West Side Story was the 80s. She's been it doing this... It kept going that long. She's still alive. It comes up until nearly the 2000s. I know that... For the second time we're talking about the same song this week, mm-hmm. Never Enough was not sung by the actress. No, it was sung by somebody who won X Factor, I think. Yes, so I, know, I don't know why they didn't get her to be in the film. I I know why. I know this practice happens still. Yes. However, what I'm shocked at is that this same woman was doing it this long. Oh, over and over again. And not getting credit. Did she get credit in West Side Story at least? No, she didn't because Natalie Woods got the credit because nobody told Natalie Woods that she was being dubbed. So when Natalie Woods went to see the movie, she would have thought, oh, wow, I sound really good. Or that's not my voice. That's she was also really Natalie Wood's singing voice in Gypsy. She's the voice of Granny Farr in Mulan. Oh, really? Yeah. And she was also Marilyn Monroe's singing voice in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Which is crazy. I, it disgusts me that she could be so important mm-hmm. to a lot of things we're going to have to watch. Yep. And not get credit. Mm-hmm. But it is insane that she's Marilyn Monroe singing voice who famously is a singer like president yeah I hate that though I know Um, but she's a famous singer she's a famous singer and the fact that she was dubbed 
and Marnie Nixon was dubbed in is crazy. She yeah. Marnie Nixon also was on Broadway. She's been in loads of shows. I just think and... it's a shame for somebody to not be credited for their hard work. Mm-hmm. You know, people aren't idiots. So if you go on her IMDb... You'll see the true extent. The majority of the things that she's like tagged to have been in, it says uncredited next to you. Marnie Nixon's going to be an unsung hero on this podcast. Yeah, she's fantastic. We're gonna see, a, we're gonna hear a lot more of Marnie Nixon, mm-hmm. but not see her by the sounds of it, which is really a shame. Yep. So, Audrey Hepburn has sung without you. Yeah. And I think it's... that you're right, though, that that's the point in which you're like, that's not her. Yeah, it's <laughs> because not there's her. just this incredible operatic singing voice that you're suddenly like there's been a lot of times where i looked and thought that can't be her but this was this was the most noticeable Mm -hmm. the action moves on henry higgins sings the song that you knew most of the words to i knew a lot of the words just because it has essentially been done word for word in family guy yeah i know damn 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 he's grown accustomed to her face yeah, and this is another very talky song, and I get, I get quite I'm very bored. glad that she's a woman. I get a bit bored with his like talking instead of singing. And I know it's because it's Rex Harrison, and but that's can fine, I say but... I like that he has the same style, and there's that continuity there. It's something I didn't like about Joseph, that each song was different in tone. Mm. I like that's an Andrew Lloyd Webber thing, though. That's not. Well, Phantom, Phantom had similar style throughout. My point here is I like that this character stays the same. It has the same singing style. He doesn't go from one talk, talking, singing, you know, a dialogue song to a big pop ballad. Thank God. Can you imagine? But I think it works for this character, for his style. And I like it. I like the continuity. I don't get bored of them. So he sings the whole of I've Grown Accustomed to Her Face and gets to a point at which they get home. He gets home and then is thinking, if she came begging on her knees to be let back in, would I let her come back or not? Yeah. And he decides that no, he wouldn't. And he sits in his chair and he looks vulnerable. And he plays his gramophone. Because he misses her voice. Yeah. And this is the thing. He doesn't need to say it to her. Because you can see her shadow and you can see her sneak in. She's seen all of that and she's heard that. It's one of those things that doesn't need to be said. They both know it. And I think that's nice. That's a different kind of romance. We watched Pride and Prejudice for me the first time. Mm Mm-hmm. The 2005 one. With Keira Knightley and... Um, Matthew McFadden. With Charles yeah. Ingram. <laughs> yeah. And you showed me the two endings. Mm-hmm. You showed me the ending with... The British ending where President they... Snow saying, I'm on a roll, send any more suitors in. Yep, which I love as that being yes, a Yes, that's point. the ending. You also showed me the fake ending. The American one, yeah. Which has all the subtlety... Of a rock. Of a rock face. in the face. <laughs> Because he's caressing her, calling her Mrs. Darcy, Darcy and kissing her. And you don't need it. We understand the romance we without understand, having to see yeah. it like this. And it's, it's a different, it's that kind of romance. It's that kind of 
era, I don't need to see an embrace where they put their arms around each other and kiss. No, neither do I. I just think he should be able to tell her. Yes. About his feelings. And but, I don't think but that it's good. This isn't the end of their story. Their story will continue. And I'm left with hope that that will happen. Mm. It's the beginning of it. Both of them have changed as a result of this experience. Mm-hmm. Her, in a way that's very obvious. Yeah. Whereas his is a lot more internal. And he has changed. But for some people, showing that vulnerability is difficult. And I think that's how his character works. Call me a sappy romantic. Sure. That's his way. And I'm sure it will get better. But I was left with hope that this is a story that will keep going on. I don't need to say any more because I know that this is this is where we've reached a new status quo and yeah. now move on from here. Okay. And we get the really brilliant classic Hollywood endings with the end, the studio symbol underneath. Oh yeah, it is nice. I like that. Yeah. And and the film ends. Yeah. So did you enjoy My Fair Lady? I did enjoy My Fair Lady. What is your favourite song in this? You've talked to me about a few songs you don't like. Street Where You Live is my favourite song. Street Where You Live is definitely. Yeah, okay. 100%. That song for me is very forgettable. I know. And the, the reason I love it is because I think it's the one I remember the most from seeing this as a child. So it's nostalgia. Yeah, but also I've heard renditions of it over the years by other actors. There's a lot of performances at 54 Below, which is a Broadway yeah. bar. People have done versions of it and remixes of it, and I've never heard a version that I don't like. Okay. Which is impressive. To have a song that you like from your childhood be remade, Yeah. you're almost certainly not going to like it. That's and I've me. never disliked. That's me with Friend Like Me. Yeah. I don't like the Will Smith version. No, we need to watch that at some point. I don't want to for the reason you just listed. Aladdin is a film that's very important to me. Mm-hmm. It's the first film I ever saw the cinema. It's a film I love. Mm-hmm. I don't want to watch it for fear of that. Like you just said with this that yeah. this song. It's a film I'm scared of it being dropped down a notch. Who's your favourite actor? Who's your favourite character? Who's your MVP? My favourite character in this is her dad. Alfie Doolittle. I love him. I think he's great. He's the biggest... I think he's the most memorable character. Yeah. I think Audrey Hepburn does an amazing job. She shows her range. But if she's not singing, I can't say she's no. my MVP. And I, I honestly, in all the research I did, could not find out anything about her response to being dubbed. Or yeah. They obviously just asked her not to talk about it. Like Warner Brothers Studios. Fair. Which is fair. Marnie Nixon didn't really say anything about it other than that, oh, yeah, that's me, and I got asked to do this, which is, that was her job, that's fine. But there's not any explanation that I found for why she was dubbed, other than that she couldn't hit the high notes that they wanted her to, in which case, why cast her? But, you know, it's Audrey Hepburn, so... And I don't think I would change that. It does beg the question, though, of why could they not have waited a year longer for Mary Poppins to have been done? For Julie Andrews, yeah. It's very interesting that they couldn't delay it. 
I don't know why. I mean, she There's more to... to it than I know and you know. The Hollywood system is what it is. Yeah, and also Julie Andrews moved to Hollywood while pregnant. Yes. With her husband at the time and was basically in a contract with Disney for a couple of years. Well, it is one of the things the studio system has was it it recruited talent and it kept them to themselves and would mm-hmm. trade them once their star had kind of diminished when they could possibly trade for a bigger star. So she was signed to Disney and yeah. there's no negotiating. And I, I don't think Warner Brothers would have been but able I, to get her that quickly. But I don't know if the studio system was still as intact in the 1950s. I can't remember that. Or the 1960s. Because there's character, actors like the actress that did the voice of Snow White. Yeah. Never acted again because she belonged to Disney. Her yeah. voice belonged to Disney. And that's what her real speaking voice sounded yes. like. So, so she couldn't screwed. be in anything else. My best song, mm-hmm. I have two. <laughs> I'm Getting Married in the Morning. Excellent. It's just so much fun. Yeah. It really is so much fun. And especially the end bit when he's like, it goes from being all celebratory to, oh God, the morning The death here. march, yeah. Yeah. And then I have to say, it was going to be a Henry Higgins song. Which one did I remember the most? And it was, why can't a woman be more like a man? That's just because it's funny. Yes. And it doesn't have to be the best performed song. And I think it is really well performed too. But for me, it was funny. Yeah. Because it's so tongue-in-cheek and just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. My MVP is also... The Dad. Is also Alfie. Yeah, he was great. He doesn't do much. Every he, single scene that he's in, you're looking at him, though. You could realistically cut his character. Yeah, but Can I think that would be a shame. You, The film would be a lot less fun. Mm-hmm. I think secondary to him is Henry. I know he's not a character you're as fond of. Mm. But, but the fact that Rex Harrison manages to make me dislike him that much. Is... I really like the way he's performed. Yeah. But Alfie... Superstar. Cool. I gave it five stars. Yay. I I thought you would. We were maybe ten minutes in when you said, I would love to do this as a school show. Yeah. Spoiler alert, like to you, I'm enjoying myself. Yeah. I think this would be a fun show to do. Yeah, it's got a big chorus. Yeah, it's got a big chorus. I think the songs are fun. There's a lot of room for comedy in it. Mm -hmm. That's what I want. It's something that people enjoy. Yeah. And I'd also quite like the novelty of seeing teenagers do these roles. Yeah, and it's so quintessentially British. Exactly, which is a big, big thing I'd look for. Do you want to... I know you don't hold out much in the belief of, like, Rotten Tomatoes scores and things like that. No, go for it. I'm very interested. 96%. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and I it mean... was described in the uh, reviews of it that I found. It is the perfect musical. Yeah. It actually got called that, The Perfect Musical, and that everyone in it has sheer talent. It's Hollywood at its best, and it's the quintessentially perfect musical. The only negative that I could find is that Hepburn, Audrey Hepburn cannot ever be a convincingly like poor Cockney woman. No. And that nobody would expect her to be, so it's overlookable. But this is the thing. It's the same for Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, we're here to see Dick Van Dyke. We're not here to see his character. Your mum has said this is her favourite musical. Yes. She loves this show. She loves this show, so she's going to be very happy. Yeah, and we were talking to her earlier, and she 
should have sent us some sound bites to uh, to put in of her reviews, but it was basically just that she loves it and she thinks that it's the best musical. Yeah, essentially. So yeah. it's 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 a musical. I can see why it lives up to the hype. Mm-hmm. Oscars are what they are. I don't think that tells you anything about a musical. Exactly. I don't think it tells you anything about a musical or a film necessarily. Yeah. But, I think musicals especially. But for it to have won best Oscar mm-hmm. speaks a lot about its quality. Yeah. It was very well made. Mm-hmm. And Audrey Hepburn was well cast for the acting. Yes. It's a shame about the singing. It's a shame but... about the singing. But the one song she did sing, she did well. Yeah, the, and the reason that they, they didn't dub her for that song is because they liked her um, Cockney singing voice yes. because it was low Yeah, and she's angry in that song. They didn't want her singing high. Yeah. They thought it would be shrill. I really liked that. So five stars for my fair lady. Yay. I'm really glad that you're the last couple you've enjoyed. We're ignoring Love Never Dies, obviously. It's a bonus episode. It's not. It's 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 a it's a side yeah. track. We're we're talking about main continuity here. This is like you can't lump the Marvel TV shows in with the MCU. I like the Marvel TV shows. The Marvel TV shows are great, but they're not main continuity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I get what you mean. (laughs) Other than Coulson, they're not in the films, so they don't count. (laughs) So the I'm really glad that you liked that because that musical. I think that's one of the first musicals I ever saw. Cool. Like on film, we've had that DVD. My entire life, I think. Which is, yeah, crazy. Yes. I think as soon as DVDs became a thing, we 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 had those DVDs. What are we looking at next week? Next week, we're going old school with Rodgers and Hammerstein, but sort of 90s retro old school, and we're doing the Whitney Houston Cinderella. Fantastic. Which is going to be so much fun. I am... Curious. It's so good. I love this musical and you're going to love it too. Let's hope so. <laughs> Let's hope. I'm on a winning streak with these at the moment, I feel like. So we've got some exciting ideas in the pipeline. We won't talk about them now. Mm-hmm. But we're constantly thinking of where we can take this. I've got some exciting ideas mm-hmm. that might flip this whole concept on its head. Yeah. Maybe expose you to a world that you're not too familiar with, then we'll swap roles for a few special episodes. Maybe. <laughs> so you're on a winning streak for now, but maybe the winning streak will go go to me eventually. Maybe not. We need a scoreboard. We do need a scoreboard. But in the meantime, until next Monday, where we drop our episode focusing on Cinderella, mm-hmm. you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at It's a Musical Pod. Where can you email us, Drew? You can email us at itsamusicalpod at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts and feelings about My Fair Lady. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you've been in it, because it would be super interesting to hear from people who've been in productions of it. Exactly. Let us know whether or not you enjoyed this episode and have a fantastic musical Monday. Until next week. <laughs>